You're listening to the See the Upside podcast, where we talk about overcoming obstacles, choosing positivity, and doing life a little better every day. I'm your podcast host, Nina Bleicher. On the show, we share real stories and speak with industry experts about how to expand and grow through difficult change. We don't always get to choose the challenges that show up in our life, but we do get to decide how we view them. In those hard moments, there are always beautiful invitations. That's what See the Upside podcast is all about. Navigating the hard moments, but then finding the opportunity to heal, grow, and connect. I'm so grateful you're here and can't wait to share these conversations with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the See the Upside podcast. I'm really excited for today's interview. It's with Chris Odegaard of The Prolific Investor. And Chris has been through divorce, just like me and like many of you. And he was in a position to rebuild and restructure his own financial life. So in the process, he learned a thing or two. And now he shares his methods and wisdom through his book, through his blog, through videos, and through his services on how to accelerate wealth accumulation even later in life. And he and I had just the best initial strategy call before we even started recording the podcast. And he's already recommended to me a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I've started on Audible and is so incredibly inspiring and eye-opening and exciting. So can't wait to dive into all the ways that we can change our way of investing, our way of viewing money, inspire independence in our lives, and even rebuild after divorce, whether it's late in life or early in life, what we can teach our kids. So all things money and investing. Welcome to the show, Chris. So excited to have you here. Thanks, Neat. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to it. See if we can share some good stuff with your audience. Yes, I love this topic. I love the topic of money and investing because I think it's at the heart of so many divorce situations. It's so crucial to a successful marriage. It's such a big part of feeling free and at ease and calm and abundant and happy in life. So I think it's really our job to educate ourselves and to create our own financially abundant lives. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say, because I know that your thoughts around and investing and accumulating wealth are not what we've been taught. So I can't wait to hear what you recommend and all the wisdom that you have to share. So let's start with your story, because I think it really is helpful to understand how you got here and how you got involved in this and learned everything you know. Well, like like most of your audience, although I am a man, so <laughs> unlike that part of most of your audience, we like think, men. It's okay. Good. I like women, <laughs> so we're all on the same page. But you know, I was a uh, I was a conventional investor. I was I grew up as an employee. Uh, to be an employee, that's what I was taught. You you know you you go to school, you get a job with benefits, you put your money. Uh, into mutual funds through your 401k, and then someday all magically 
you know, decades down the road, it'll all work out and you'll be able to stop working and at some age and live happily ever after. So that's what I did because that's what I was taught. And I call it now the 401k highway to mediocrity. 401k is a terrible investment vehicle. We can get into that later. And then like you and some of your audience in my mid forties, my 19 and a half year marriage ended and I lost 55% of, you know, all the assets that we had. And of course, there was alimony and child support. So thousands of dollars a month in cash flow. And, you know, whether, you know, I've talked to a lot of men who have gone through this after me and, and you know, it's it's no less devastating for women. And uh, the, what I've seen happen with, with a lot of people is when this happens and they have this financial setback, they kind of resign themselves to, oh, well, I'm going to have to work longer or I'm just going to have to live this this very diminished retirement lifestyle, live like a pauper instead of a king or a queen. And what happened to me is a friend of mine around that time said, hey, Chris, you should read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I did. And the biggest thing you know, for your audience to know is it's the first thing you have to change is the way you think about money. Unfortunately, most, most everything that everybody knows about money is probably wrong. And so a book like Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great place to start to change your mindset because you have to change and see things differently before you can actually make the, the actual investing and, and changes in your life. So, and, and I guess the more important part of that story is uh, after going through that, and then switching from conventional to alternative investments. And we can talk about what that is. Nine and a half years later, I had taken what was left over after the divorce, multiplied it by 5.6 times, quit my corporate job, and I'll I'll never work again. I'll never trade my time for money again. And, uh, you know, unless yeah. I choose to for some reason, but I don't have to. And so, you know, I you know, I retired, or I hate to use the word retired because the definition of retirement is to be taken out of service. I'm plenty active doing the things that I like to do, regardless of whether they make money. You know, it's nice when you can make when work is a choice instead of a necessity. And that's where I think everybody wants to be. And so, anyway, and I wouldn't have been able to do that had I kept that conventional mindset in those conventional investment vehicles. Yeah, I love that story so much. It's so inspiring. And I think especially for many of us that get divorced kind of later in life, which is probably, I don't know the stats, but it's probably got to be pretty common to get divorces mm -hmm. in your 40s when your kids are older and, you know, the big hard life things start coming and, you know, the problems arise. But it's it's so nice to hear that you were able to pivot and rebuild, restructure reframe really, which is kind of the most important one, as you said, your mindset on how to structure your financial life. And I think for most of the listeners, most of them are probably women. And a lot of us really don't have much to go on. Not only, you know, did most of us grow up with the money role models, and you and I have talked about this, that they don't teach money in school. What we learn is from our parents and Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about that too, that, you know, it's, it's really not a great system to learn from just one set of parents is, mm -hmm. you know, you have to look at kind of the, the reality of how they're living and, and what they've created. Is that really who you want to have advising you on your financial life? Like, Go find someone who's been really successful and learn from them. And that's really what the guy in Rich Dad, Poor Dad does is he mm -hmm. 
finds someone who is successful and decides to kind of learn from them and figure out how to do that. I love that story so much. So tell us a little bit about where the financial knowledge that we have is not right. What is not a good idea and why is that the case? So uh, a couple things. There are some some financial gurus out there that will talk about becoming debt-free and paying off your house and owning everything free and clear and not going into debt for everything. And I, I want to be really fair about that. There's a time and a place for that. If you're at a time and a place where you're drowning, drown, drowning, drowning in uh, you know consumer debt, credit card debt, revolving credit, all that kind of stuff with high interest rates, that's bad debt. And you need to put that behind you. But event, but that's like the 101 class. Eventually, we have to leave elementary school and we have to move on to higher education. And the truth is that you can't really become wealthy without using good debt. You know, how much money you accumulate and how your investments perform, one of the factors is how much money you have to invest. So let's say you make $75,000 a year and your expenses are $75,000 a year, guess how much money you have to invest? Zero. So the only thing that you have to invest is the money above and beyond your living expenses. So now all of a sudden you make $80,000 a year and you've kept your living expenses at 75. Well, now you've got $5,000 a year to invest. Well, you're not gonna get very far investing $5,000 a year. And when, uh, if you invest in the right kind of assets, this would not be stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. But when you invest in other things, banks will actually loan you money to buy those assets, something like a piece of real estate. And now you not only have you don't only have your money, you have the benefit of the bank's money. And people say, Oh, but you know, but now you have a loan payment. Well, but you're not paying the loan. If you do it right, the tenants or whatever the investment in is making the loan payments and generating cash above and beyond that. So you yourself are not actually mm. making the loan payments. So now instead of investing $5,000 a year, which is all that I have to my own name after, you know, I've paid all my expenses, I can borrow 20 or 30,000 from the bank. And that now when you start investing that kind of money, things start to multiply very quickly. It's why, you know, if you know, if you have a high salary and you keep your living expenses low, people who are, are you know, uh, have that situation, wealthier people, they accumulate a lot more money. Because if if I'm making two hundred thousand dollars a year and my living expenses are only a hundred thousand dollars a year, I've got a hundred thousand dollars a year I can invest. I'm just going to get so much faster than the person that's only got five. But you can use good debt to buy you know certain assets to just move yourself down the path a lot faster. So real estate is one that you're talking about. What mm -hmm. other investments do you like? Um, that's the thing that I primarily like. I invest in I've invest in ATM machines. I have ATM machines all over the country and they produce monthly cash flow and I get, you know, I get a check from them every month. Self-storage, which is another kind of real estate, apartments, which is another kind of real estate. But for me, it's mostly it's mostly real estate. I've also have some energy investments, which get really good tax treatment. I do a little bit of crypto as kind of a speculative thing. You know, every every once in a while, you need to take a little bit of your money and make a swing for the fences. You know, that home run type of a thing, grand slam even. But yeah, it's it's mostly real estate for me. Okay, 
So what would you say to someone who only has, you know, that starting point of $5,000 extra a year to invest that they still have a day job like you did and like I do and want to start building towards that life of freedom, but doesn't really know where to start. So they have a day job, they contribute to their 401k, you know, at least the minimum of what the company matches. I feel like you kind of have to do that. Right. And then you have, you know, let's call it five to 20,000 left over. Mm -hmm. How do you begin? Where do you start using that? Right. I'm going to, I'm going to go back just one thing and say Mm -hmm. that you shouldn't put your money in the 401k even to get the match. And I'll tell you why. So that's the first thing. Somebody might be putting ten, twenty thousand dollars into their four hundred one k, and then they've only got the five thousand left over. So the the big selling points of the four hundred one k are that you get this company match, and you get the tax benefits. So if you took a side by side comparison of you know a thirty thousand dollar, let's say over the course of the year, a person put like thirty thousand dollars into their four hundred one k, something like that. And, and you would get a certain tax benefit. You would get a one-time tax benefit. You wouldn't pay taxes on that money that year. And you would get a one-time match from your company. I think the average is around 4 or 5%, something like that. Well, let's say if you took that same $30,000 and, and bought a single-family rental, you get the same benefits. You get So the, the employer match is nothing other than somebody else's money. They gave you some money for making the investment, right? So when you when you buy a single family rental, the tenant is going to give you money for the next 30 years in the form of the principal and interest payment on your loan. So you not only get somebody else's money the one time, you get it for the next 30 years. And then the other thing is you also get a tax benefit, but you get it every year for the next 27 and a half years in the form of something called depreciation. And when you do the numbers, and I've written an article on this, the benefits of that you get of the other people's money and the taxes in a piece of real estate is worth almost three times as much as the same, the similar type of benefits in a 401k. So you're getting free money from your tenants and you're getting a tax benefit, but it's three times better than what you would get in a 401k. So I would say, don't even stop doing the 401k. <laughs> mm, so now, interesting. Now, now it, you know, if, if the, the problem with this stuff is that it takes you have to you have to change your mindset and you have to get some financial education because you it's going to take more work to go out and do a single family rental and hire a property manager or whatever you're going to do but the the benefits are are better they're way better and when you put the $30,000 into the mutual fund you got $30,000 worth of mutual funds the $30,000 that you put into a single family rental was a down payment and the bank loaned you 70 so for your $30,000 in the piece of real estate, you got a $100,000 asset and you get the appreciation on that whole 100,000, not just your 100,000, you get the appreciation on the bank's input of the 70,000 and somebody else is paying interest and principal payments on that. Yeah, I love that whole concept. We'll include the link to your blog article about that. What other resources do you suggest to help someone become more educated about the process and get started with that? Yeah, I would. Um, they need to do something like you're doing read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or you could read my book, Get Off Your Ass and Manage Your Money Why You Need Alternative Investments. And I have a whole bunch of books uh, that are kind of my favorites on my 
web page. But the other thing is you need to start hanging around, like you talked about, you need to start hanging around some different people and associating with people who are already doing what you want to do. If you want to move over to this type of investing, you got to get away from your family and your friends and your coworkers and start associating with these people. And I never used to uh, and I have now I have a very specific recommendation and it's called left field investors. And I don't get anything for recommending left field investors, but left field investors is all about, you know, making money through assets that produce passive income. And a lot of that mm. is, is, uh, is real estate in a whole, you know, there's real estate, there's car washes, there's ATM machines. They just cover the whole, the whole spectrum and they have a, what they called an infielders club, which I think costs about $99 a year. And that gets you access to everything. And the most important thing is the forum where you can go in and say, hey, what do you know about this this operator and their apartment syndications or this guy's ATM machines? Who's had some experience? Because otherwise, you know, you're, you know, as a new person, you're not going to know where to go or who to ask because probably nobody that you know has ever done anything like that. So and you know, there's weekly uh, Zoom meetings, and they're having their first meeting this October up in Columbus, Ohio, which I will be going to. These are the type of things you have to do a little bit of travel, get on these calls, and read the books, and just start, you know, getting your thinking changed around about money, and that debt is bad, and four hundred one ks are great. <laughs> well, it's like allow yourself to get curious, start listening and paying attention. I'm sure there are podcasts out there that focus on money and investing yes. specifically for women. Uh, I know you're reading a book right now that we'll mention later that's specifically designed for women to find financial freedom and invest. So I think that's that's an area that's kind of a fundamental roadblock with a lot of women is the confidence and the ownership of our financial lives. And often it's after divorce that we're sort of forced into that position. And frankly, gosh, dang, I wish I would have been interested and excited about this a long, long time ago. And I'm so committed to making sure I have three kids, two, two daughters and a son. And I want to make sure they know how to manage their money and life well. Mm -hmm. And have excitement and interest in doing that. And I think it's so funny because my son will say, I don't want to work in an office job. I don't want to work for anybody. And, you know, I had kind of that old mindset where I was like, okay, like you're a little <laughs> entitled and you're going to have to, you'll see. But now my yeah. thought around it is kind of like, Hey, okay, let's figure out how to make that yeah, happen. Let's look at it. Yeah, like exactly. it is possible, but you've got to educate yourself and figure out how to do it, you know, become yeah. step into the responsibility and the ownership of doing that. Sorry, you, you mentioned something really important that I glossed over and that's the podcast. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, to, there has never been a time in history when it's been so easy to learn stuff. And if you're, you know, if you're if your audience, if there's people in your audience that aren't a podcast listener, they really should consider that. And, and I have Alyssa podcasts on my resources page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is where so much of my information has come from. You know, one podcast leads to another one. It leads to, you know, a group like Left Field Investors and conferences. And it's just it's just a it's just so easy to get that information nowadays. Yeah. And the nice the great thing is. You know, 
women are great multitaskers, right? So you can, you could, when you're doing the dishes or when you're driving to the office or, you know, whatever, you know, with the gardening or whatever, you can, you can, you can do this stuff. And, and I would also caution your audience, don't be put off because this might be a language you you don't initially understand. And just because Mm -hmm. it just sounds like it's going over your head, keep listening and and eventually little pieces of it will will sink in and pretty soon you know it's like any you know whatever industry you work in there's a whole vocabulary that's unique yes. to that industry if you're in the airplane business or the chemical business or the publishing business or if you're into the you know personal finance and real estate investing there's a whole language and a lot of it initially is going to be i don't know what they're talking about you know but don't don't let that it's it's the repetition you listen to this stuff over and over not the same one but just keep you know have a playlist of the top 3 or 4 ones that interest you and listen to them every week and it, it will all sink in you know over time you know think about your other job or hobbies you didn't get there you didn't get there overnight it took time to yeah. learn that language and be able to have have you know you know intelligent and confident conversations with a group of people who you know that know this lingo. So of course. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it's really an open invitation to expand your knowledge in a safe place on a podcast. You know, you don't have to commit to a course, you don't have to go somewhere and be in front of people. You can be on your daily walk and just soak in mm-hmm. a little something, you know, even if you only get one takeaway. You no, know, I've said this a couple of times, but that intro to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's so easily understandable, but it's so some of the things that he said were just truth bombs, you know, that our, our world and system is set up for people to continue going to school so they can go work for someone. And that's what we're taught to do. But Mm -hmm. the true wealthy in the world don't actually work for anybody. And that was such a truth nugget. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of his first rule, if you will, or I forget what he calls it, like his mm-hmm. guidelines or, or signposts or whatever, but it's that the wealthy don't work for anybody. Their money works for them. And, and, they, and they employ a lot of college graduates. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Well, and you, you have to get your initial nest egg, right? To be yeah. able to invest, you got to get money from somewhere, but you know, I, I think uh, it's interesting because that's a very counterintuitive mindset because we were always taught. And I know my dad for sure thinks that an education and working hard and saving is where it's at. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that's a, maybe a safe mindset, but it's not going to get you freedom or, you know, true, true wealth. It'll get you somewhere, but where? <laughs> you, and, know. you know, you, and you mentioned education, and I, here's another thing that's that I find really interesting. Um, you know, I have I have a bachelor of science degree in one particular field, and if I had gone and gotten my MBA, I wouldn't have learned in that course any of the stuff that I know today. They don't teach that yeah. there, and I think if I told some people the amount of money that I have spent on my financial education and the tens of thousands of dollars, they would go, oh my gosh, you, you're out of your mind. But if I told them I spent that same amount of money to get my MB at the University of Arizona, they would think that's totally okay. But I, yeah. wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have got the knowledge with the MBA and I wouldn't have increased my net worth 5.6 times in nine years with the MBA. The education 
that you need to do this isn't really taught in schools. And you're going to find it through these books, through these podcasts, and, mm. and the people that have, have done this are now teaching other people how to do it. Yeah, so true. Yeah, I love that. And I, I'm a big book reader, podcast listener, all of that. I mean, just constant expansion of knowledge and in every element, not just money and in mm-hmm. anything you want to change or grow in your life. Right. So now I got to go back and read the intro to Rich Dad Poor Dad because I can't remember. Yes. <laughs> You're very inspired by it. So I need to go back and yeah, listen to it. Again. It was it powerful. It was. So going back to the real estate, I'm curious, what's your take on when you, if you're looking at investing in a property, you know, we've talked about apartments, we've talked about houses. Are What do you think about Airbnb, VRBO versus having someone like, you know, permanently renting your place? What's your take on that? If you had a single family residence or, you know, let's just call it, or, or even, a, even a condo or something that you rented, you know, for $1,000 a month to a family, you know, in a VRBO situation, you might be renting that for $1,000 a week. It does take more management because you, because you're turning, you're turning people every week. And I, and I have not done that mm-hmm. because I haven't found a way to do it passively the way I like to do it, which means I'm not involved in the day-to-day operations. Right. Yeah. And so but I, I, they're all, I mean, there are, they're all valid ways to make money. And some of it just kind of depends on each individual and what they're comfortable with and what they understand, you know, and what the risk is and how, how active or passive they want to be as an investor. I feel like Airbnb and VRBO are getting kind of saturated though. I mean, here in in Arizona and Scottsdale and Phoenix, there are so many, so mm. many. But of course, we have the Super Bowl here this year and we have the waste management golf tournament every year. For the Super Bowl, I could probably rent out my house for, <laughs> you know, $15,000 for the week or something, but right, right. you know, I where would I go? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's interesting. Well, let's talk about coming out of divorce. What are kind of the first steps that you would recommend for someone coming out of divorce? Like what if they're not quite at that investment stage? How do you, you know, what, how do you come up with a strategy and a plan for, you know, kind of realigning your financial life? Yeah. I would go back to what we already talked about. Even if you don't have you know, the money or the wherewithal to do it right now, it doesn't matter. You can start with the education and maybe, maybe you, maybe you do nothing but, you know, learn for the first 12 months. And, and that, and that gets you to a point where you're starting to feel confident to go out and meet people and go to some events. And maybe now you, you're in a little bit of a better position financially. Unfortunately, there's just no, there's no one size fits all, you know, everybody's different, but the key thing is, is, is the education. And mm-hmm. so however, however you want to do that, that's, you know, the books, the podcasts, the, the mastermind groups, the, you know, going to the meetings and things like that. There is a, um, it's called a, the, the, the kind of industry term for it is a RIA, a real estate investor association, REIA. And in every major city in the country, there's, there would be a number of real estate investor associations. And you can join those and they have, you know, regular meetings and these are all real estate, you know, investor groups and there will be presentations and classes and, and there will be deals. The one thing that I would say is all of those are for people. Well, 
my experience has been they're mostly for people who want to be very active. You want to go buy the single family or the small apartment building yourself, and you want to hire the property manager. And you're, you, I would say you've basically just started a small business and taken on a second job, right? Yeah. And when I had a full-time job, I didn't want a second one. So I choose to do my investing in other ways. And those other ways, I never really found much of that at these RIAs. But it's a it would be a good place to start. And it, you know, it would be something that, you know, this would be something you know, with, you know, you could drive to, it wouldn't involve an airplane ticket or an overnight stay. And that would be a great place to just start, just start attending those meeting people. And you'll probably, you'll probably find some people that are in your situation, right? That are just, there'll be mm-hmm. people that have been doing it for years and there'll be people who are just starting out and they don't know what they're doing. You can, you know, make a friend and a, and a potential business partner. And it's always nice when you're going, down this path together. I, uh, I've got a new business thing going on right now. And I always feel like I'm, the, there was an invest, there's an investment saying kind of correlates to the old, the drive out West and the early days of the country. So, you know, you've got uh, the explorer that goes first and the settler that comes second. Sometimes the pioneer, the explorer gets killed and the settlers come in. I always feel like in the investment world, I'm always the explorer. And, for, and, and I happen to be doing some right something right now with somebody else. It's so nice to be going down this new path with a business partner instead of, instead of doing it myself. So it's yeah, always nice if you can, you know, and we're not even business partners in, in terms of having a company. We're just doing the same thing on our own going down this path, but we're talking mm-hmm. every day of how's it going and comparing notes. And, you know, at some point in time, I'll be a little bit further down the road than he is and vice versa. And so, it's like the first time in my life that I've had this kind of camaraderie in this investment space. But I think that's great advice. Like any of us could really do that for ourselves too. As women coming out of divorce, we could find other women who are on their own trying to invest in properties and rent them out or, you know, invest in other ways too. Like, you know, how can you, and I think that's what's, what's pretty beautiful about this kind of community is we all really want to help and support each other. And it's Mm -hmm. very collaborative. It's very open. It's all of us in life can ask for more advice and guidance, you know, Mm -hmm. and people like you, you're, you're here on this podcast because you want to share this information. You believe in it so strongly that you know that it can be beneficial to people. You wrote a book about it. And it's kind of what I, why I do the podcast is I feel strongly that someone can benefit from all this exploration of ways you can up-level and make your life better. So, you know, I think feel free to ask the question. You might be surprised that how helpful someone could be and what kind of referral or guidance or path that can put you down. It's a very, I'm always amazed at this, you know, it's, it's a whole different a group of people that I'm kind of connected with now all over the country. Uh, some people I've met in person, some people I haven't. They're just, for the most part, genuinely very generous and helpful people. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, on my website, and there's a, a coffee cup in the middle and says, you know, have a free virtual coffee with Chris. And on Thursdays, I do that. And they're 30-minute they're sessions. And 
more times than not, and you know, I'm donating my time and I'm and I'm happy to do so. And more times than not, at the end of the pod, at the end of the at the end of the 30-minute session, someone will say, Hey, Chris, this has been really great. Is there anything that I can do for you? Love and, that question. And I just go, yeah. that's that's awesome. <laughs> so and sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, you know. Yeah. And, uh, usually at the end of the usually as we're as as I'm talking, you know, I'll I'll be jotting down some links and things that I want to send to the person. So I'll send them a I'll send them a, you know, an email. And if there's anything that I think they could help with me with, they'll say, Hey, yeah, if you, if you left me a Google review, that would be helpful or what, whatever it might be, you know, mm. but anyway, that's just the, the caliber of people that, you know, tends to be in this, in this area. Well, and this brings up an interesting issue, which is also from rich dad, poor dad, that he mentions that, so we've been taught that talking about money is not appropriate or, you know, we shouldn't do that. It's not refined or it's, you know, we, you're not supposed to do that. But he argues in that book that rich people love to talk about money and their investments right. and collaborate yeah. and share stories and help each other and have those open discussions. And I just think that's, such a cool idea. Like what if we decided to start openly talking about how we want to make more money or what we're investing in or where we want to grow and change? How much would that invite someone else and help yep. someone else? And what could you learn from that? I mean, it's just huge. And we talked about this on the pre-call after, after I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was, I was at home one day and there was advertising on the radio for Rich Dad's organization was putting on a seminar, and I and I went to the free seminar, and and it's always the free seminar and the upsell to the training package and this thing and that thing. So anyway, at, at the time when I just gotten divorced, I I put fifteen thousand dollars on my credit card for a, a series of real estate and all these different aspects of real estate training. And my son was about seventeen at the time; he was in high school, and so we went to all these classes together, all across the country. One of the first classes was kind of a philosophical class. It was it was really kind of changing your mindset. And that's there was this young guy there, and that's what he said. He said, "Look, rich people talk about money, poor people don't." He said, "If if if you and I were," he said, "If I was out with a group of my friends, colleagues, whatever, and I told them that I had just got into this uh, you know, this apartment investment." And they asked me, well, what, how much money did you put in? You know, what do the returns look like? And he, he said, if I didn't tell them, they would think there was something wrong with me. We, you know, we just talk about money and that, and I kind of grew up like you did. We didn't talk about money in my family. So again, I was a little later and my kids were like, like 15 and 17 at the time. And so from that point on, dad, how much money did you make? Here's how much money I make. What, you know, so from that point forward, it was an open book on money. And, and, you know, to this day, I, I think I shock some people. Uh, and I told you this before I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine. We were out at, at a happy hour and we were talking about retirement. And I said, well, how, you know, and he was talking about his plans and, you know, was he going to be able to do it? And I said, well, how much money is in your 401k? And he said, he laughed. He said, nobody talks about that. I said, well, here's how much is in my 401k. And so he told me how much was his and his happened to be more. And it didn't make any difference. It was about the conversation of how you were going to get there based on what you had. And as soon as I, you know, shared my information, he opened up as well. And it's like, and so I, I, I think I shock a lot of people because I, you know, I'll, 
talk about things that most people don't, or and I'll volunteer information that most people wouldn't think about sharing because that's how rich people think and that's how they talk. And I'm trying to pull people along with me, you know? Right. Well, and it's like, it's money and sex. Like how are we supposed to be able to be successful in those things? If, if we're so secretive about it, it makes zero sense. Right. And then right. you have people going down these unhealthy channels to, figure it out and, and are going off of misinformation stuff that Mm -hmm. isn't even true or old stories that don't serve us anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe at some time pensions and 401ks did make sense and they were valuable and important, but why we have to always be continually questioning and updating and looking at what the modern world is asking us to do. And, you know, some of the stats mentioned in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know I keep coming back to that because I'm like in the heart of it right now, but, you know, the, the percentage of people that own most of the wealth, like it's a tiny percentage and, but Mm -hmm. they own like, it's like 90% of the world's wealth or something. How can we, as the more general population, create more freedom for ourselves and, and break out of the cycle? I mean, it's kind of that concept of the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I think we do do that with money. We sort of feel like these are the rules. I'm going to stay in the swim lane because that's what we've been taught. Even if the result you're seeing is like, wow, this really isn't going anywhere. This doesn't seem to make sense, but that's what we've been taught to do. And really applies to almost anything in life, right? Old patterns are, are very difficult to break. Well, there's, there's, there's another huge mindset thing in there. You know, you you know, the statistic you're talking about is something like, you know, 10% of the population owns 90% of the wealth in the country or the world, something like that. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but here's how people, here's how most people will look at that. Well, they'll go, well, that's unfair. It shouldn't be that way. That may or may not be true, but the truth is this is the only playing field that we have. The system that this system that we have on planet earth and in the United States of finances and how everything works, that's the playing field. You could spend your time banging your head against the wall, trying to change the rules of the game, or you could figure out how to make the rules work in your favor. You know, it says, if you can't beat them, join them. And the, and the great example of that is, you know, the tax code and, mm. you know, the, you know, in whatever 2019, Donald Trump paid $750 in taxes or warns Buffett, Warren Buffett's secretary pays a higher percentage in tax than Warren Buffett. Well, guess what? The tax rules are the same for everybody. It's just that some people, the guy who wrote a great book, he's the smartest tax guy in the country. His name's Tom Wheelwright. He wrote a book called Tax-Free Wealth, get the second edition. He would call us super taxpayers. That's not because we pay a lot of taxes, but the government uses the tax code to manipulate behavior. And the government will pay me to invest in real estate in the in the form of depreciation, but they won't do that for a mutual fund. So why would I choose to go, you know, why would I fight the government and invest in something that they don't think is important? If I invest in something that they think is important, I will get financial benefits. So why would I complain that the system is unfair instead of just change what I'm doing and swim with the tide, you know? Yeah, it's just because it feels 
like something we don't know because it's not given to us in a, how do I say this? Like in a clean package, like a mm-hmm. 401k, you know, it feels right. a little rogue. It feels a little risky. At least it does to me yeah. because of my dad's understanding of how you manage and deal with wealth and move through your financial life in the world, you know, mm-hmm. investing in real estate, other than the homes that we lived in was not a thing that he mm-hmm. would ever, ever, ever mm-hmm. do. That's for, you know, rich people, obviously. Right. I mean, that's yeah, how yeah, you get rich, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really educating yourself, shifting your mindset and becoming open and realizing that change is good. And there's a, and like you said, that that playing field is open to everybody. I mean, you can complain and say, oh, you know, they're making so much money, but, you know, we all know that to really appreciate money and wealth, you, you do have to earn it yourself, Mm -hmm. not meaning it doesn't have to be earned in a job. You can earn it through investments, but just being handed a check from someone typically doesn't generate value in that. Yeah. Well, most that's been proven over and over again by people that win the lottery. You know, most people that win the, win a lottery years later, they're right back where they started. They're like bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's, you know, something interesting too, is to talk about what being rich or what being wealthy is and the definition that I like. And because some people say, well, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be wealthy. Well, really? I but, do. Yeah, I, I know. But some people don't. But let's let's just pick they a definition. They feel like it's gauche, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like so, tacky so or something. You are, uh, and, and I'm talking, there's all different types of wealth, right? I'm just talking about financial wealth uh, in terms of, so you're wealthy when you have enough passive income to cover all your living expenses. And you know, if you're if you yeah. if your living expenses are $10,000 a month and you have money coming in for from your investments that are $10,000 a month or more, you're rich. You never have to work again. And so uh, you know, you just have to that's one of the important things that people got to figure out is what's that monthly number? What's mm-hmm. that monthly number that I need to live on and how do I generate you know that much income off of my investments or, you know, my side hustle or whatever. So it doesn't, you don't have to be a a multimillionaire to be, to be rich. If you make $120,000 a year from your investments and that covers all your expenses, you're, you're golden, right? (laughs) Now you, now that's when you can make work a choice instead of a necessity. And that number is different for everybody. But I think that's an important question to ask yourself. What would I need to make to be able to mm-hmm. live that lifestyle. And I think everybody wants that. Nobody wants to have to work for someone. Everybody wants to have freedom to spend their time doing what they want to do, whatever that is. And, but, you know, if you, and I, I hate to, to hate to like give work a bad name. Look, if you absolutely love what you do and you want to do that job until the day you die, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It yeah, doesn't happen to be my choice. You know, I'm doing what I want to do, and some of it pays money, and some of it doesn't, right? But I have enough yeah. passive income to pay for all all the expenses. So, but to have the passive income to have the choice of doing the job or not, I have to say, I do do love my job, and one of the reasons I love my job is my company is very unique in that 
they empower us as sales reps to run our territory like our own mini business. Mm -hmm. So we manage our own time. We prioritize what projects and deals we're working on. We decide which products to sell. We decide how to engage in sales. We, Mm -hmm. we decide everything. And it's really pretty brilliant because and they're very, they don't have a lot of turnover. They don't have a lot of failure because Mm -hmm. you're really kind of working for yourself and it's very positive environment. It's very freeing and you're really free to bring your own kind of vibe and style to the job, which really maximizes success. Because when you try to make a salesperson be something that they're not, it comes across as salesy or artificial or pushy or inauthentic and people are repelled by that. So, you know, I've got my own authentic yoga guru vibe going and, you know, some people (laughs) like it and some people think it's weird and, but I, you know, I do my thing and it's good. It's a, it's a great, great day job. It's like a it's like a small business. You you have you're running a small business within a larger enterprise almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So one question I wanted to ask is, what would you like kids to know? Like, what do you think would be beneficial for children to understand about money and investing, and how can they expand their knowledge and get curious? I was trying to. Uh, I, I thought you might ask me this, and I was trying to. Um, think of something because I know I heard on a podcast that and this is I know there are a couple of groups that are are, are women owned and rim, and focused on women for investing and I couldn't find what I was looking for and there's also one for kids I, I can tell you what I did with with my kids when they were little yeah. is, is we had a I bought something called an allowance kit and it was a plastic allowance kit and it had three three slots in it and one was the giving slot one was the spending slot and was one was the savings or investing slot. And so they got an allowance and we divided the money up into, you know, those three or four buckets. And and my daughter, who's just turned 31, still talks about the allowance kit to this day. Way back then I was a conventional investor and there were some sites and there are more of them now where I could say, hey, well, let's invest and once you had a once they had a certain amount of money in their little investing bucket, then we would go out and they could buy a stock or a fraction or something. And and they would just, oh, well, I like the Nike brand. So let's buy, you know, and it, it didn't matter. They, they were just getting exposure. Of course, knowing what I know today, I would be teaching a, a much different lesson. It just goes back to being, you know, open and involving your kids in money. I know it was something that my parents did for my dad that I tried to do with my kids, but I didn't quite get there is, you know, as he was growing up, he got an allowance and that allowance, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there were certain things that he had to do, you know, around the house, but that allowance grew every year until the point when he was in high school, all the money that he had to work with was in that allowance and he had to manage it, your clothes, your school books. I mean, so, you know, it would have been a pretty significant allowance by that time, but he was basically managing his own, you know, his own money, you know, for everything that, that he needed. And I thought that was a great, great idea. I wasn't able to duplicate that. but Yeah. I love that idea teaching them how to manage the impulse to buy versus the long-term opportunity to invest. And, you know, I've got, three teenagers and there's, they're all a little different in that sense, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's a little harder in a divorce situation because you're not really, you know, a combined 
couple yeah. force kind of right. trying to agree on how you're going to do it on kind yep. of one side of the equation. But yep. I really feel like I need to put some kind of program into mm -hmm. place for them to help guide them a little yeah. bit. So I got to do some research and, and yeah, I, I, I know there's stuff out there and I, and I, I'm usually pretty good at, uh, you know, when I hear something, I'll capture it because I know, like, I, I remember hearing a, a woman on a podcast and she had a an organization was all geared toward women and in investing. And I knew there, were, and then there was another one that was creating a school curriculum for kids and personal finance. And I, I searched and I couldn't find them on the web and I couldn't find them in my notes, but they're out there. Eventually, I'll, I'll figure them out again. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of times you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Somebody has already you know, taking this and taking it to a level where you can just buy it off the shelf, you know? That's a good point. Yeah, I could probably find something. I'll do some research and see what I can find. So anything else you wanted to add before we get to our final two questions here? I don't think so. I'm excited right. for the final two questions. <laughs> yes. So what book are you reading now? What are oh, you the, into? <laughs> the book that I'm reading right now, and this, I'm not making this up. It's, it's a, uh, it's called Empower Your Inner Millionaire, A Woman's Guide to Financial Freedom Through Real Estate it's Real Estate Investing. It's by Christine McCarran. So yeah, and it's a it's a it's a it's a pretty quick read. It's I'm gonna say it's a hundred and hundred and ten pages. And it's a really good, it's a really good beginner uh starting point. And I know we've talked a lot about real estate. Real estate is just one alternative investment. There's many, but it's really you know, there's studies that have been done that, you know, even even for people, you know, like the Jeff Bezos's and the Bill Gates of the world, some people made their money in in a business, but most money is stored. Even those people don't take keep their money there. They store it in real estate. And so there are a lot of people that either got wealthy from real estate or if they got wealthy from someplace else, they're putting their money into hard assets like real estate, not keeping them in the stock market. What do you think about some of these real estate investment? They're not like REITs per se, like real estate investment trusts, but they're kind of like that where you can invest in, what do you call it? Like consumer kind of like real estate. Like fractional kind of fractional yes. ownership kind of Yeah. Thing. What do you think about that? Yeah. So it, uh, it kind of depends. So alternative investments is everything that's not publicly traded on the stock market. Mm -hmm. So now a REIT is a publicly traded vehicle, REIT, Real Estate yep. Investment Trust. So basically what you're, you don't actually own real estate. What you own is a share of a company that invests in real estate. Mm -hmm. So for example, you don't, you know, if I own real estate uh, directly, I get the tax benefit. I don't get that with a REIT. Okay. So the thing that you're describing it's hard. It really depends. I don't. I can't answer the question because the things could be structured so many different ways. But the big so it's thing like is owning a stock. Basically, it is a yeah. read. A read, okay. a read is yeah. own, you do. Yeah. You're owning a publicly traded stock. Okay, got it. Okay, that makes. And sense. that's not the same as owning real estate. You don't. You don't get all the benefits there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, what about music? What's on your playlist these days? What do you like to listen to? I'm very curious oh, about this. I, for those people who don't listen to Pandora, you pick an artist or you pick a song and then Pandora will create a list of music that's kind of in that genre. The station that I like the most is if I put in Glenn Campbell, 
I just get this great collection of Glenn Campbell and Elvis Presley and the Fifth Dimension and oh, Jim cool. Jim Croce Ooh. and the Carpenters and <laughs> it's just this really kind of easy kind of yes. stuff yeah and I so love it. so that that's just been my and there's a Johnny Cash in there Roger Miller so oh, all that man. old stuff that I like so. Oh, I like that. That's and cool. the great thing about Pandora is if anybody types in Glenn Campbell, they're going to get that exact same, you know, collection of stuff. You know, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of really fun. cool. I love that. Well, how can everybody find you? Yeah, uh, the best way is my website. It's theprolificinvestor.net. And so all my articles are there, videos, all the resources of investments I make, podcasts I listen to books. And of course, my book is there. There's a link to take you right to the Amazon page. And if anybody wants to have a 30-minute virtual coffee with me, they can sign up right there and we can talk about all this kind of stuff. I'm in. (laughs) And I highly recommend. Chris is a great person to talk to. And we just you know, could have kept talking and talking in our, our initial call that we when we first met each other. So yep, it's good stuff. Don't be afraid to talk about money. It'll set you free. No, <laughs> exactly. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. I love this conversation. Yeah. It's so freeing and such a beautiful invitation to step into freedom, really. I mean, that's what money's about is freedom and options yeah. and yeah, being yeah. able to live the life that you want, which yeah. is what the See the Upside podcast is all about. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Nita. I'm really glad you let me share with your audience and hopefully yeah. people will take a little turn in that direction. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at c.theupside and Facebook at cTheUpside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.